Welcome to Becoming Powerhouse, where we discuss the tough lessons I've learned while taking my two companies from negative revenue to over seven figures. We'll talk about the raw and vulnerable truths about being boss, as well as tips and strategies you can implement immediately for better business results. I'm your host, Nicole Overcamp, the founder and CEO of Wilcox Financial Group and Powerhouse Coaching. You can see links and other resources in our notes. Don't forget to head over to powerhousemoney.com to grab your free Powerhouse bundle for business and subscribe to our newsletter. Now, let's dive in to today's episode. All right, my Powerhouse fam, I have a very interesting guest for the show today in you just heard the introduction and his incredibly impressive bio. And so thank you for being here, Ivan. I know that you do dozens of these a week. You're a busy man and we appreciate you taking a pause and being here. You know, networking is one of those things that is a necessity if you want to grow your business. And often the quality of your relationships is the quality of the connections that you make, the networking you do, the questions you ask. And truly, you have been able to build the largest, arguably the most successful face-to-face global networking organization. And they start in in, uh, daily and they're constantly failing as well, right? Like how many have uh, been started? They last for about a year and then they fizzle on out. And you've sustained the organization and grown it tremendously. So welcome. Thank you. But I would love to hear your story and where this started and how you've done what you've done. Yeah, well, there's a lot to the uh, opening. Let's start with, uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, and, you. you know, you say I'm, I'm busy. And you know, one of the things I've learned is I've never met anybody who said they weren't busy. Unless they worked for the Department of Motor Vehicles, you know. <laughs> yeah. Especially entrepreneurs. They're all busy. So for me, a lot of my life is about mindset. And so I've tried and I've been pretty successful at stop saying that I'm busy about myself. I don't tell people I'm busy. You know what I tell them? I have a full life. I love that. Sometimes it's a very full life. Sometimes it's <laughs> overflowing. But I have a full life. I think that's a, a great mindset. And I'm happy to do these interviews. I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. And when they're working in their flame, they're on fire. They're excited. They love what they're doing. They're passionate about it. You can hear it in their voice. You can see it in the way they behave. When they're working in their wax, it just takes all their energy away. And you can hear that in their voice and you can see that in the way they behave. So, which leads me to your question, which was, (laughs) how did I get to where I am? I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization with, we now have 11,092 chapters in 77 countries around the world. Over 11,000, that's 11,092 meetings every week all around the world. Incredible. And and actually it's a woman that's kind of responsible for me starting to open up multiple chapters because I had one chapter and woman came to me and asked me if I would open up another chapter because in BNI we only take one person per professional classification, hers was taken. And I actually said no to her. I said, no, this isn't what I do. I'm a business consultant. I, I don't run a network. I just happened to run this one. And she said, come on, it's it's kind of consulting. You'll help me build my business. And so she talked me into it. And you know, with that, I was off to the races. I ended up opening 20 chapters that year. And that's the point at which I realized that, you know, BNI really is necessity, an example of necessity being the mother of invention, that people wanted referrals. We don't teach this in colleges and universities. And so I helped create a platform to do that. 
I love it. And I love how you said no. But then, you know, we're we're receptive to that and, and look what, what happened. And so now you worked, you know, you were a business consultant, correct? Yeah. When you started. And so when did you know, or or I suppose, when did you know it was right to make the transition from that to this and, and knowing you're, you had something in growing that? I think I knew that I was going to have to make the transition by the end of that first year when I had 20 okay. groups. I had when I call Brodeen moment. Do you remember the movie Jaws? And at the end of the movie, Sheriff Brody is throwing chum out into the ocean and the shark comes up for the very first time. He sees the shark and he turns around to the captain and he says, you're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> that was really my Brody moment was when I look back and realized that I opened 20 chapters and I wasn't trying. Yeah, People were just coming to me. And that's really rare uh, for a business where the business to just come to you. It's very organic. And so that's when I sat down and created a plan to start scaling the business. And as I said, we now have over 11,000 chapters. But that to me, that's not the most amazing statistic. Here's the most amazing statistic. In the last 12 months, BNI has generated $22.6 billion. That's billion with a B. $22.6 billion worth of business for our members. We call it thank you for closed business. Our members mm -hmm. report how much business they get and what's it, what, what it's worth. They're worth it and, and they report that on a platform called BNI Connect. $22.6 billion. So here's the amazing thing about that. Based on United Nations estimates of GDP, gross domestic product, there are 114 countries in the world with a lower GDP than mm -hmm. what BNI generated for its membership last year in the last 12 months. It's incredible. That blows my mind that we as an organization could generate more business than 114 countries, the GDP of 114 countries. It's impressive. And it's the power of small business and in, in connecting. You know, the real question is, did it bring in more than the Taylor Swift concert, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but, but that would be one concert. So uh, right, right. I'm joking. us all year to, to do that. Yeah. And that just perpetuates itself. And, and that's what I think is actually super cool about your organization, how you've designed it and in, in why we are fans of it is that it is not just showing up to network. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, there is an explicit purpose. There are documented results and there's an agenda that is kept to and they're a fine like oiled machine. And so yeah. you can go to any chapter and it's the same in a good way where you know what to expect. You know, it's going to start on time. You know, it's going to end right. on time and you're going to make really good connections. And to me, someone who appreciates expectations and routine and I hate running over time, that's a beautiful thing. And yeah. it's really hard to create. And, and I'd love for you to speak to because I'm sure it wasn't always like that, you know, how you've developed such a great system and culture. But what were some of the tricks that you've learned or maybe it was through failing that that got you to this beautiful, well-oiled machine followed by everyone for all very, very different in different countries all over yeah. the world? Well, the consistency is important. I think if you want to be successful in business, you have to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. And what most entrepreneurs do is they Good keep point. They chase great shiny objects. And say, so, oh, yeah. let's try this. Oh, let's try that. 
instead of, of doing you know something that they know works. And by the way, it doesn't have to be six. It could be seven. It could be eight. And you do it over and over and over consistently. So I began that by writing everything down. I wrote down what worked. I wrote down what didn't work. And then training. Training is absolutely critical. You got to teach people how to do it effectively and then maintain that consistency. And you're right. We're in many different countries. I remember the first time I saw a BNI meeting in another language. It was in Sweden. And I was at a BNI meeting. And Swedish, you know, it's not like French where you know a word or two, right? Or Spanish. I grew up in Southern California, so you got to know a little bit of Spanish. So it's not like that. But Swedish, Swedish kind of sounds like, I mean, it's a sing-song, beautiful uh, sound. But, you know, unless you know Swedish, you, you have no idea what's being spoken. And I'm watching this entire meeting in Swedish, and one of the members leans over to me and says, you have no idea what they're talking about, do you? And I said, yeah, yeah, they're, they're introducing the referral part of the meeting. They're explaining that if you have a referral, you give it. And if you don't, you give a testimonial. And he said, wow, you speak Swedish? I said, no, I wrote the agenda. That's what happens right here. <laughs> and that's, I think, an example of what you were that, saying yeah. you know, to, to uh, chapters all around the world. And you really know what's going on, even if you don't know the language. Yeah, it's, it just speaks to how critical the fundamentals are and the training, the routine and writing down a process and often to the point that you just made with many entrepreneurs, that's the, that's the step we skip. And then instead of being proactive and leading a team, we're often reactive, putting out fires and figuring right. out it, the mistake because we just didn't clearly document all the things that were going on in our head of which felt right, but we didn't communicate it. And so right. it's a great thing if you want something to rinse and repeat and always happen the same way, the right way with the same experience. Right. Yeah. And the challenge with entrepreneurs is they like new things. And so that's the big, you know, it's- it, <laughs> They have short attention spans. I mean, yeah. uh, 300,000 cats because they're all, you know, wanting to do yeah. things differently. But we try and teach them, look, you know, look for new products, look for new services, yeah. look for new things in your business. But with BNI, you, you got to follow the system because the yep. system works. And it, it'd be like flying a plane and somebody says, well, you know, do you really need that back rudder? Let's take that back rudder off. And, yep. you know, do you need all six tires? Well, let's take one tire off. And the, the shift to fly, do you really need that? It can be so high. You start taking stuff off the plane, it's not going to fly. Yep. You start moving things in a, a well-oiled machine, as you put it, and it's not going to run well. The key is that entrepreneurs have to understand that, Sometimes you just got to do six things a thousand times to be successful and that you apply the rules and the processes more like Mandela than Attila. You apply them more like Mandela than Attila. It's tough love, but you got to have the rules. You know, mm -hmm. hockey without rules would be boxing on ice. You have to have the rules and the systems. Otherwise, it becomes a copy clutch. And we realized that really early on in the program. Yeah, which is probably why you've seen so much success. And I think that is important, again, to digest, too. And it's it reads a lot like I, I just finished the book 10x is easier than 2x. And a lot of what they talk to is stop being all over the place and cut out the shit that doesn't work or that's not your zone of genius or is profitable and, and really focus on that 20 percent, not the 80 percent. And and we entrepreneurs are like herding cats a lot of times and we're always starting and stopping and getting bored and it's honing in on that and, and really taking control. So thank you for sharing that. And, and I just want everybody who's listening to digest it in a way that's also relevant to your business because it's not just for creating a networking organization. Like this is a solid piece. Business of strategy. It's, yeah. It's strategy. That's exactly right. 
And I would, I would tell business people, you know, find what works and do it over and over and over again. And, you know, every now and then may, maybe some new product or service will come in, but don't, don't be chasing too many bright shining objects. If you, if you need to do things, things, some different things, you know, pick up a hobby, learn astronomy, learn, be a sommelier, learn wine tasting, you know, go, go do some fun things that are different. But when you kind of, when you're in a groove with the business, keep plugging away. And at the same time, be looking to the future. Because with technology changing like yeah. it, it is, we have to be looking ahead and we have to be prepared for technological advancements. And, you know, you look at a, an organization like BNI where we meet mostly in person, we still have yeah. some that are online. You think, well, we're not very technology but oriented, but you can't have a three-letter domain. Our domain is BNI.com. You can't have a three-letter domain unless you're an early adopter to technology. And BNI has been an early adopter mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Yeah, I was just going to say that is is tired and true as the process and the system has been overall. Uh, you've and been very good at anticipating and innovating within the yep. organization to be proactive on the technology, which is is a, a super important point because we constantly have to be looking ahead, and especially nowadays with AI and short attention spans. Not just by us business owners, but the yep. consumer has changed right. completely, and so. It's extremely valid or you will find yourself out of business very quickly. And I think a lot of us found that out in 2020 when, you know, you either sink or swim uh, and, and then moved on. And so, you know, you have also written 26 books, if not more. I think I found 26 if my research is correct. Or 28, uh, but who's counting? 28. Okay. See, there you, there you go. 29 and comes out next month. Very exciting. And writing a book, and I can speak from experience and in, in writing one of my own, for me, it was a horrible process. I mean, I loved the idea of it. It sounded great, but sitting still and focusing on that was painful. It was yeah. time consuming. And it also, though, I found was a beautiful business tool, business strategy. And I have a lot of women who come to me and say, I want to write a book. How should I do it? Or what should I do? And they're excited to do it, but they get stuck on the yeah. how, why, and when. And so I'd love for you to speak to two things. One, if you could, Ivan, how have you successfully used these books as strategy to grow the organization? And then second to that, I'd love for you to speak to the book that you wrote on the difference between networking with men and women. So I know yeah. that was a lot right there, but I'll let you break it down. Well, first of all, I agree completely with just about everything you said. It's not easy to write a book. Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, writing is like bleeding from your fingers. It's just, that's <laughs> just not easy. It's, it can be a challenge, but it's, I highly recommend it. And if you want, bring in a, a developmental editor who can help you flesh it out. But it is a great brochure for your business. When I wrote my first book, I was hoping that I'd get media interviews because, you know, if I went to the media and said, hey, talk about BNI, most people would say, no, uh, especially back, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Sure. You didn't have podcasts or anything like that. It was it was mainstream radio, TV. So uh, they'd say, take an ad out. Well, what I, what I learned was that the media will interview any idiot with a book. And I have 28. So I get all kinds of interviews because they want to talk about the subject. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't want to make it a commercial. You know, you want to provide educational content, things sure. that the listeners or, or viewers can walk away with ideas. But you get to mention your business. I mean, we opened up the first several minutes talking about BNI. And so urge your audience to write a book. Now, if they're struggling, 
there are a lot of really good programs out there that will help you write a book, two that I could personally recommend from friends of mine. Jack Canfield has a book writing coaching mm-hmm. program, you know, to help you get your book out. Raymond Aaron in Canada uh, has one, but it's it, it's online as well as offline. Those two are outstanding coaching programs. By the time you're done, you'll probably have a book. And so I would recommend it. It's, it's a great brochure for your business. Thank you. And I'll be sure to have those resources in the show notes too, because I get asked that question all the time. But okay, now the good one. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the, the whole thing about um, uh, men and women. So the book I wrote, yeah. it, was, it was about 10 years ago, and I think it's still available on Amazon. And it, it, don't get put off by the title. Listen to the subtitle. The title is called Business, Networking, and Sex. Okay. Subtitle, not what you think. And <laughs> And so I loved the book. Uh, I probably, if I had to do the title over, I'd probably do it different. But it did get me on the Today Show because uh, there you go. Oda, Oda and Kathy Lee loved the, the, the topic. So here's what we found. And, um, you know, we surveyed 12,000 people. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to condense a lot here in just a couple of minutes. We found that men networked more, just a little bit more, not a lot more, you know, 5%, 10% more. They spent uh, time networking than women did. But women generated a higher percentage of business than men did. And one of the biggest differences that we saw between men and women was a transactional approach versus a relational approach. Men were more likely than women to lean towards transactional. Hi, my name's Ivan. Let's do business. (laughs) Women were more likely than the men to lean into uh, being more relational. And, you know, men, men are always clueless when I'm talking about this. They're like, what? How does that look? Yeah, so here's a great example of what I witnessed uh, between I was standing with a man and a woman and a, a second woman walks up. So there's now four of us. Second woman walks up. The woman to my right looks at her and instead of saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, what do you do? She said, hi. Uh, and we're wearing name tags. And so she said, hi, uh, uh, Janet, it's very nice to meet you. How did you hear about tonight's event? That's a very relational question, not what do you do, transactional. Yeah. How did you hear about tonight's event? And so the woman says, oh, my friend Sally invited me. And the first woman is like, oh, my goodness, you know Sally? I know Sally, too. How do you know Sally? So I look over at the guy who was standing there, and he's, his eyes are rolling behind his head. It's like, you know, kill me now. Who cares about Sally? I, I, you know, we're here to do business. And I'm thinking, no, no, these ladies, these ladies are doing business. They're doing the precursor of building a relationship to do business. That's a great example of relational versus transactional. Now, when we merged men and women together who were transactional, merged men and women together who were relational in our database, we found that both the men and the women who were relational tended to get more business than the men and women. Well, they statistically got more business than the men and women who were transactional. So the relational approach, uh, women are better at. Mm-hmm. That uh, that does not surprise me. I mean, it, when you think of any business, it, it's mostly on on relationships, of course, unless you're buying T-shirts. But what surprises me is that men networked more. And that was interesting because I, I would think the opposite, I suppose. But um, when you were asking those questions, was there anything that surprised you in being in in the game for so long or anything that really stood out to you as profound that would be yeah. something good to implement or, or change moving forward or think about really. Yeah. So this is statistically, there were a number of things that were statistically significant, but not necessarily vastly different. It wasn't like men answered questions 
you know, like this and women were answering it like this or vice versa. It was, they were not too terribly far off. But when you read comments, you would never have believed it was the same people taking the survey. And comments were the most interesting piece because it led us to the conclusion that the exception becomes the perception of the gender. And that's the phrase we used. The exception becomes the perception. Because men and women were, not, like I said, not really, really far off. 10, 10%, 15, 20% was like the most on a question. So the exception becomes the perception. And here's an embarrassing example. And I'll preface it by saying on behalf of men everywhere, I'd like to apologize, ladies. But uh, this, this was a real example. Four comments in a row, because people could have open-ended answers. Four comments in a row. First three were women. I really don't like going to networking events. Men hit on me. Second one was, you know, I, I wear a wedding ring. I'm not married, but I wear a wedding ring to slow men down from, you know, asking me out on dates. I'm not a big fan of networking. Uh, third one was like, men are pigs. They, you know, they got to networking events and yeah. I just want to, you know, date. Fourth one, again, I apologize. Fourth one was a guy. He said, I love networking events. It's a great way to pick up chicks. <laughs> And there you have it, folks. <laughs> so here's the thing. The answers were were really pretty similar, but I mean, the the, the data, but yeah. comments, there were these it, a wide exceptions. Mm -hmm. And what we realized was, oh, and, and by the way, men complained, not hard, not that, you know, not strongly, okay? But men complained about women uh, dressing in a way that, was maybe not appropriate to a professional environment. Not that they minded, but it was like that they were yeah. using that to get interest. So that's an exception. I've been yeah. to so many networking meetings. I see very few women who don't dress professionally. I see very few men. Uh, I'm a guy, so I may not be as observant to it, but I see very few guys who are really hitting on women. Mm -hmm. So those exceptions will almost become the perception of the gender. Mm -hmm. When in many ways, we're kind of a lot closer in networking than we yeah. may have thought. And so it's a very complex set of factors with this book, but it's called Business Networking and Sex, Not What You Think. Interesting. Well, thank you. And and that's good to know, too, I think, when we're maybe uh, making excuses about why we're not far ahead or doing something differently, why we are all more alike than we are different. It's just yeah. often the perception or the story that we're telling. And I always say that the confidence gap and we, of course, are working mostly with women and, and talking to that in imposter syndrome, but men have it, too. And a lot of a lot of what what goes on there is just sometimes the approach is is different or or to your point, the perception is different. Maybe not those examples specifically, but, you know, in, in many others that I think we've all heard. And so before we wrap things up, I do have to ask a, a couple questions of you. And sure. and because your schedule is so full. And, and I do appreciate you calling me out on saying you're busy and, and choosing that. Because I did not mean to call uh, you out on that. No, but I, I'm actually proud. I'm super glad that you did. And, and here's why. Because I have tried to be very mindful of not using that word when people ask me how things are in, on, on my end or schedule. Because one of my pet peeves is when somebody immediately says I'm busy, almost is a reaction to avoid something, right? Yeah. And also on, on the other end, I think everyone's like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, just because they feel like that's what they have to say to seem like they are 
successful or whatever. But truly, if it's a priority, it will be in your schedule, even if your schedule is very full, to your point. However, the the number one question or challenge that comes up time and time again, anytime I am coaching a client, it doesn't matter the level, starting out multi-million, billion-dollar business, it's time management. It is, I have no idea where the hell my day goes. The week is like quicksand. And so with running a very full calendar, you have a family, you're running a global organization, and you make time for things like this, which is also not always common ground. So what are some of the things that you've learned as you've grown in your schedule, I'm sure has gotten increasingly more full, but you're also choosing what to say no to, I'm I'm certain of. And so what are some hacks that you do or routines, rituals that add more time to your day, but also help you make more mindful choices so that you're able to maintain a, a full day, but not one that feels busy per se? You know, Nicole, I do a lot of interviews. I must say, you ask great questions that are multi-layered. So there's there's a lot to that question that you just yes. asked that I want to try and touch upon. And I, and I mean that as a compliment. There, there's a lot there that I, uh, I, as a guest, can draw from. Let me start with, I apologize if, if you feel like I was putting you on the spot with the full- Not at all. Busy, Not at all. That wasn't my intention. I like to talk about what I do because everyone says to me, I know you're busy. Well, yeah, but again, it's the mindset thing. I don't want to feel busy. I love it. I want to feel like I have a full life. Yeah. Man, I have a full life. And that's, you know, how I feel. Okay. So time management, there's a number of, uh, and there's so much I could say about this. I look at this uh, first and foremost, uh, not from time management, but by priority management. Mm. And, you know, what is it in terms of priority? Because I get a lot of stuff done and I still get a lot done. And I mean, 28, 29 books in about 28, 29 years, plus, you know, still what I do with BNI and interviews like this. So it's about priority management. And if you go to Google, you can find a graph on a priority management. And it basically has four quadrants, things that are important and urgent, things that are not important and not urgent. And so, you know, if it's not important and not urgent, don't do it, right? If it's not important, but urgent, you time it over to somebody, hand it over to somebody else if you can. If it's important and urgent, well, okay, that is probably for you, for you. If it's important and urgent for you, then right. that's probably something you want to handle quickly. And surprisingly, if it's important and not urgent, that's something that should be a priority for you. Above urgent but not important. And here's why. Writing a book. Mm-hmm. Not urgent, but important. And so you got to set time aside. And so you, for me, priority management is about the important urgent and the important not urgent first and foremost. Now, you also asked a question that was sort of balanced, things to say no to. Yeah. I wrote a book called Who's in Your Room? Second edition is out now. And in the book, I talk about the secret to balance. It's one of the last chapters. And the ability to say no is involved in that. Would you like to hear what I believe is the secret to balance? Well, I'd love to. Okay, here it is. Forget about balance, you'll never have it. Yes, perfect. No. (laughs) Now, when I say that in an, a large audience, there's almost always somebody in the front row is like, oh, I thought I'd get something good. All right, you're going to get something good, I think. But here's the deal. When we look at balance, we look like it's, it's like scales. My personal life has to be in balance with my professional life, which has to be in balance with my health and my spirituality. Life is not a balancing act. 
Life is a juggling act. You are constantly juggling things. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're juggling more. And I have had women tell me they feel like they juggle even more because they take on some of the responsibilities that their husband may not always take on. So, so it's a juggling act. So forget about balance. Let me give you another word to consider. Harmony. Yeah. Even the graphic, and this is more than semantics, even the graphic for harmony, the yin and the yang are out of balance when you separate them. When you separate the yin and the yang, it's out of balance. And there are many things that you can do to create a life of harmony. One of them is learning how to say no. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'll answer that and I'll give you one or two more about the, the harmony thing. Uh, there's a lot that I have in the book, but here's one or two. This is my favorite. If I said yes to that, I'm afraid I'd let you down. That's a great phrase. I use that a lot. And it doesn't even use the word no. You don't say, no, I can't, I'm really sorry. You just say, you know, if I said yes to that, I'm afraid I'd let you down. And then say, why? You know, I've got this priority, this, I've got this, this. Or that's not my expertise. And then refer them, a follow-up technique to that is refer them to somebody who you think would be excited by that or be a better fit for that. So, you, you know, you hand them to somebody else. Also in creating a life of harmony, um, you have to have margins. Have margins. Those margins, you know, they're different for, for everybody. For me, it's uh, it's sitting in the jacuzzi. It's having a great class of Cabernet Sauvignon and some music. Um, it might be, you know, taking, it might be taking a bath. It might be locking the bathroom doors, putting on candles and taking a bath. You could have margins in life. Those are the things that help create a life of harmony. So say no. I gave you one or two uh, ways to say no and the secret to balance. I think that answers your multi-layered question, which I love. <laughs> I always say I have a lot into one, right? But no, you know what? That That is honestly pretty profound in, in how you said that and much more eloquent than typically what I say, which balance is BS. So thank you for the explanation on that. We put so much pressure to to having to have balance and it's not realistic to your point. And we choose how, how to fill things up and then when when to take that time, or you called it margins, to just take time off, and that's okay yeah. too. Um, oh, and you know, I forgot the most important thing, though. Yeah. Um, number one in harmony is the phrase "be here now." Yeah. Wherever you are, be there. Yeah. So don't be at work thinking about the fact that you didn't spend time with the family last yeah. night. Don't be with the family thinking about the project that has to be done at work. Yeah. Be here now. Absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. I, listen, I traveled. I travel a little less than I used to. But I have 2.5 million mile air miles on one airline alone. I traveled every other week for 25, 30 years. And, but yet I really tried to practice that be here now mentality. And when my son was 17, he's 30 now. When he was 17, we're sitting down in front of a big screen TV. We're playing a game of Halo. He's kicking my butt. We're leveling up to the next level. And I said to him, hey, buddy, was I around enough for you as you were growing up? He looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, what? I said, was I around enough for you as you're growing up? He's like, you're around all the time. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm gone like every other week. <laughs> you know, maybe not the whole week, but three or four yeah, days. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. You, you travel a fair amount, but I don't know. It's like when you're here, you're like totally here. Can we get back to yeah. the game now? And I'm like, yes, we can. We can get back to the game now. Yeah. And that's an example of be here now. That's probably one of the most important principles mm -hmm. of creating a life of harmony. Yeah, presence. And it is much easier said than done. Oh, and yeah. it's a practice. And I think it's something that 
we all need to be more mindful of, especially nowadays, because there's so many distractions. I mean, really? if you have your phone with you, you're not present. And so practicing that and practicing how to have conversations and to listen in itself now is, is crazy that we have to say that, but it is almost a craft that is disappearing in some generations. And so yeah. thank you for bringing that up. And, and I think when to hear that too, to hear that you traveled every other week and your kid was like, you were here all the time because you were present should also help alleviate for some of you listening that guilt that you have by traveling or working often if you can compartmentalize and truly be where your feet are versus being distracted in the moments you are doing the best you can and setting a tremendous example for your kids, for a leader to follow. I mean, there's no greater gift than that. So be where your feet are. I love that expression. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to borrow it. Steal it. There you go. And then you can write a book on time management. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of really good ones out there. There are, yes. Uh, and Atomic Habits is is a phenomenal one. I'm sure you've, you've read it. So thank you so much for your time today. I truly appreciate it. You definitely added value for everyone listening. Is there any final thought or words of wisdom, Ivan, that you, you want to leave with everybody before we close out the day? Yeah, let me leave you with a couple of things. One, I gave my website, but also I have a blog, IvanMeisner.com. I have 15 years of content up there. It's all free. So lots of stuff, IvanMeisner.com. But let me leave you with one networking uh, nugget. Please. You know you know the old phrase, Nicole, it's not what you know, it's who you know? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's either one. I don't think it's what you know or who you know. I think it's how well you know each other. Counts because like I, I mean, I have some amazing contacts. That's my new grandson, by the way. I have some new, I have some amazing contacts in my phone. Yeah. But the question isn't, you know, that I, I, I know these people. The question is, can I pick up the phone and call them? Mm -hmm. Would they answer my call? And if I ask them for a favor, would they be willing to do the favor? So it's yeah. not what you know or who you know. It's how well you know each other that really is the secret to building a powerful personal network. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you, you so much. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. It was uh, an awesome interview. And so until next time, my powerhouses continue to be courageous. Thanks so much for listening to Becoming Powerhouse. You can find all of the links to our site and resources in the show notes. Let's connect on Instagram at powherhousemoney. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at powerhousemoney.com. Remember, I want to connect with you. I want to hear your thoughts and help you with all the challenges you're having. So engage, send me a DM. And of course, if you're loving this podcast, let us know and go ahead and hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Thank you.